Welcome. I want, did I pronounce that your was name? Perfect. Oh, good. It's I've been perfect. practicing. I honestly, when I was walking down the stairs, I said, Mahershala, 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 Mahershala. I half expected something magic to happen yeah, after I yeah. said it that many times. We don't get to choose our names. We're stuck with whatever we're dealt at birth. But whether we love our names or hate our names, one thing is certain. Our names play a key role in developing our sense of self. My name is Caitlin Russell, and you're listening to Cultural Standpoints, a podcast produced by VCU Brand Center. In this episode, we'll explore the power of names. What's in a name? There's meaning, there's heritage, and sometimes there's serious baggage. The role of names in shaping identity is known as nominative determinism. It's been proven to not only shape our opinion of ourselves, but to shape how people perceive us before we even utter a word. My legal name is Caitlin Russell, but my true name is Caitlin Suarez. I've spent my whole life as a Russell, so I wanted to learn more about how Suarez became Russell. To do that, I sat down with our family historian and my sister, Michaela Chamberlain. So when my dad was about 11 years old, living in Argentina, um, his father, my grandfather, decided to emigrate to the United States of America. And so when they came, my dad, who had been his whole life Andres, Suarez Russell, suddenly became Andrew Russell. Ours was a story of assimilation, of wanting to feel accepted. The decision to change our name was a conscious one. By adopting that more Anglo-sounding name, we'd hoped to blend effortlessly into the land of opportunity. But I wondered, what difference could it make for people if we all embraced more foreign-sounding names? Alrighty, everyone. Everyone in this room has a name. And our names represent our identity, our cultural origins, history, and I believe, our worldview. That was TED speaker and storyteller Ari Khan Abodetukudo. She's worked with companies like Condé Nast, ExxonMobil, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, but most recently was featured on TED for her talk on the power of names. In her TED talk, she talks about what it's like to have a name that's considered different or even difficult. Here's how she explained her experience and what it was like to grow up as Ari Khan. Growing up in the U.S., California to be exact, being African wasn't exactly cool. The kids didn't get it, and so my name stood out. It wasn't always accepted. Additionally, teachers and colleagues would pass over my name because it was too difficult to pronounce. They'd call me abbreviations, different letters of the alphabets, but never my full name. That makes an impact on you. In many cases, I contemplated, should I change my name? Should I abbreviate it to make it more convenient or to assimilate? The unflinching mispronunciation of certain names or the refusal to even attempt them sends a message. At best, it reads, these names are foreign and I don't know what to do with them. At worst, the message is, these names aren't worth getting right, which is to say, these people aren't worth getting right. Eric Hahn's story is shared by countless immigrants and ethnic minorities who have long felt the pressure to change their given names as a way to assimilate. It's why, even as the number of Hispanic Americans born in the U.S. increases, Hispanic-sounding names like Jose are declining in popularity. It's a process called nativization, and in the case of English speakers, we often talk about it as anglicization. But ultimately, it can be seen as a form of code switching. So I called up Eric Hahn to find out. 
How does code switching play a role in naming and identity? I think with names, I'm constantly presenting my name with different intonation, different context, and different performance, depending on who I'm talking to. So I'm also aware that if I say Airy can, it's more like Disneyland. It's smiley. It's (laughs) jolly. It's loving. You know, and so it immediately, uh, semi, uh, immediately makes this foreign sounding black woman person who you may or may not be intimidated by, or you may find alluring, you may find attractive, et cetera, et cetera, just like easily acceptable. It seems like such a little thing. It's just a name. But countless studies have proven there's more to a name than you think. Our names are burdened with bias. Discrimination stemming from name associations has been making headlines for years, but a recent Newsy feature shows just how little has actually changed. Question. How much does your name matter when you're applying for a job? We've all seen the news reports and peer-reviewed articles showing what a supposed black or brown sounding name might do to your chances of getting hired. The study looked at every available field experiment of hiring discrimination against African Americans or Latinos since 1989. After tallying the data, the researchers concluded whites receive on average 36% more callbacks than African Americans and 24% more callbacks than Latinos with no observable level of change for black applicants from 1989 to 2015. To combat society's prejudice, AI has been heralded as the impartial hero. The tech world is buzzing with conversation around the effectiveness of algorithms for removing human bias. But the reality is that algorithms are built on data sets, which are built by human beings. They too carry bias. Harvard professor Latanya Sweeney has made it her mission to uncover the pitfalls of data science. And what she found in regards to names was alarming. When I came to Harvard, I was having a interview by a reporter, Adam Tanner, who's a well-known reporter. And I wanted to show him a paper that I had done. And so um, I went to Google and I Googled my name. And yes, Google is a verb. And I popped this ad saying that I had, implying that I had an arrest record. And so I tell Adam, there's the paper that we're looking for. And he says, forget that paper. Tell me about when you were arrested. (laughs) And I tell Adam, well, I wasn't arrested, right? And he says, then why does Google say you were? So Adam, a white Italian-American, jumps to the conclusion. He says, that's because you have one of those black-sounding first names. And I said, what are you talking about, black-sounding first names? And so eventually, I end up doing studies that basically using a VPN network, we collected 140,000 ad deliveries. What we found from that 140,000 ads was we found that, that if you had a name given more often to black babies than white babies, that you were 80% more likely to get an arrest ad than the other way around. We live in a technocracy where the privileged majority not only controls design, but also its implications. I wanted to talk to our TED speaker, Ericon, to see what she thought of Latanya's study. Well, this is something I've experienced throughout my life. So not only having an African name, but knowing other black Americans who carry names that have been significantly stigmatized, especially during a certain era that like have political implications, like people who, who have a name that starts with the la, like Latanya, Laquan, Lasan. Mm-hmm. 
the 80s and 90s naming culture and naming systems amongst black communities and how that in turn like leads to um, disadvantageous outcomes in those in that generation's life. So whether it be criminal records, be it not getting jobs, uh, be it becoming caricatures in pop culture and media. For Ericon, the persisting prejudice, even in technology, is unsurprising. If anything, it's proof of the continued demoralization of otherness that has plagued American culture for generations. So if people judge us based on our names and technology can't save us from that judgment, what can? I spoke with Instagram artist Khadija, whose work exposes and unravels harmful name associations. For her canvas, Khadija chose a common object that carries most of our names on the day-to-day, the Starbucks cup. My idea was to address the idea of, you know, society renaming, profiling, labeling Black people. So I wanted to address that with the cups. I wanted to address that with the project as a whole. Instead of letting the names live on their own, she crossed them out and replaced them with stereotypes that those names often live with. And, you know, the, the words that I use uh, after scratching out their names, you know, it's, it's not new when you hear these stereotypes about black people. You know, we're gang members, we're thugs, we're rappers, you know, we're ghetto, we're loud, we're ratchet. I wanted to show that these are, this is what we're named, this is what we are being labeled as. People look at our names and they think, oh, that's, that's probably a ghetto name. What really, a lot of times when you look into the names, they're, they have a very important, powerful background to it. And that's why I named it um, God is Gracious, meaning Shaniqua. The work of artist-activists like Khadija signal a step towards a new naming convention, where a name isn't a weapon to marginalize and discriminate, but a name can become a tool for empowerment. And not surprising, the greatest lesson in owning the power of your name came from mom. Uzamaka from Orange is the New Black shares her story of not liking her name, but learning to love it. My family named me Uzamaka. Isn't that a beautiful name? Thanks, Mom. I got it for my birthday. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I came home from school one day, and my mom was cooking in the kitchen, as she is wont to do. I said to her, Mommy, can I ask you a question? She said, eh. <laughs> I said, can you call me Zoe? And she stopped and said, why? <laughs> and I said, because no one can say Oza Amaka. And she looked at me and she said, if they can learn to say Tchaikovsky and Michelangelo and Dostoevsky, then they can learn to say Oza Amaka. Reclaiming the power of a name means refusing to change it, to nickname it, or to let it be mispronounced or misunderstood. When you hear a name that's familiar, you don't think twice. When you hear a name that's different, it might appear foreign, weird, wonderful. It's anything but normal, and there's power in that. Foreign names were once a weapon to belittle otherness, but the future is in channeling that otherness to command the attention of an otherwise indifferent majority. We command their attention with names that aren't easy to pronounce, a presence that isn't easy to swallow, and a people that aren't easy to ignore. 
I want to thank Michaela, Khadija, and Erikan for their interviews, as well as Zamaka, Key and Peel, and Latanya for their insight. I started this podcast because I wanted to understand my name, why it had to change, and why that mattered. But what I got out of it was this outpouring of support from other immigrants and ethnic minorities who could relate and wanted to share their own stories. I couldn't include them all, but I wanted to wrap this podcast by bringing it back home. I shared with my sister everything I'd found, and here's what she had to say. I love that phrase, like, make your name easy to swallow. Like, it doesn't have to be because, like, maybe I'm not easy to swallow. Maybe I'm different than you. And maybe my different than you makes you uncomfortable. Maybe my ambiguity makes you uncomfortable, but that's okay. I read this quote the other day that said, you have two choices in life, evolve or repeat. This is an opportunity for you to stand in the face of others, and that's good. That's growth, right? So, what's in a name? It could be the calling card of the marginalized, the unheard, and the ignored. In that way, empowerment can find heart in the act of naming, if we simply ask people to call us by our names.